0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Please stand with me for the reading of the word? Our text this morning is found in Acts chapter 13, and I'll begin reading here at verse 1. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Verse four, verse six, sorry. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, Named Bargesus, who was with the Proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the Word of God, but Elemas, the magician, for that is what is meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy." Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are looking at a great passage this morning in Acts chapter 13 about being a sending church. And I I didn't really plan it this way, but just in God's timing, it ended up on a Sunday where we will be sending Pastor Scott and Rachel. But I just want to broaden that net a little bit. This isn't a message just for Pastor Scott. This is a message for all of us. That in some way, God is sending all of us. I spoke with a uh, one of our own this morning who was talking about some upcoming doctor's appointments that she would have. And you know her prayer requests? This was great. Pastor Phil, will you pray for me that when I engage in those conversations with the people who are there, I'll know how to share the gospel. Right? That's a sending church, see. It just isn't looking to send people someplace else. It's looking to have the focus on sending people wherever we are going. We say together, strengthening you to change your world for Christ, we were very selective in remembering that it is your world, not our world. Sometimes people will say to me, Phil, you're a pastor, why don't you speak to them? Because you'll be able to do it well, right? And I just say all the time, listen, they will see me only as a pastor. They will see you as the friend that they know who cares, We should be sending. So here's what you see three things in the text. You ready? God gathers, God gifts, God sends. God gathers people, God gifts people, God sends people. All of this is going on in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start with verse 1 because one of the things I noticed almost immediately is that God gathers people and they often come from a diversity of backgrounds. And this is great because there's a lot said about this in our world today, but you're gonna see momentarily that this church, that probably, it's one of my favorite churches in the New Testament, this church of Antioch that was known for sending, it's the church where people were first known as Christians, okay? where they were first called Christians. This particular church, their leadership was, I'll just say it, radically diverse. And you may not know that because you may not recognize all of their names, but let me introduce them to you. In Acts 13, verse 1, you see Barnabas, you see Simeon, you see Lucius, you see Manan, and you see Saul, okay? Now, you know two of those names for sure. You know the name Barnabas and you know the name Saul or the one who will be Paul, Let me just unpack those names for you for a second, okay? Barnabas, you may remember, um, is the one who's called the son of encouragement. His name earlier in the book of Acts was the name Joseph, and he was the guy who was the landowner on Cyprus, so that's where they're going to go. Paul and he are going to go there first. He owned land on Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. He sold that land and gave it to the church, So here you have this man who has grown up. He was a Levite. He grew up in the Jewish realm. He was probably fairly traditional. And he grew up in that particular realm, and he was this great giver. He just said, listen, I'm selling everything, and I'm going to just go wherever Paul goes. I'll just go and participate. Then you see the name Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger is the word black, and most commentators believe that that's the description of him, that it's not his name so much as it's the fact that he was a black man, probably from North Africa, okay? Now, remember, this isn't the first introduction. There was an Ethiopian eunuch who came up from there to Jerusalem, and so the Gospels kind of moved down there in some way. So now you have Barnabas, very traditional kind of Levite. Jewish guy. You have a black man who's come up out of North Africa who also, these five men are the leaders in this church, okay? And then you have this guy by the name of Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius was a Hellenistic Jew, okay? Now, let me just explain that momentarily. That means he took the traditional Jewish religion, and he also engaged in what we would call the Greek culture, okay? So I might even call this guy, I'll just say it, a little bit more progressive than your traditional person, I hope you're getting a feel for how radical this group feels, okay? Then you have Menaean, who's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. You say, what is he doing there, okay? I, who wants to be a friend of Herod? Herod's the guy who keeps killing, the Herods keep killing Christians, right? And the, the truth of the matter is that there's a great word here to describe him. It's the word centrophus. It's, it's, uh, when it says lifelong friend, it literally means he knew him from when he was a child, just think about this for a moment. In some way, shape, or form, some have even said he was a foster brother, but, but he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, so he was like this socialite. I might call him in our world and generation, he was, are you ready for this? An influencer, okay? I just learned that word, I, had, I, w- I was with uh, my nephew doing some video work, and he kept using this word, and I said, exactly what is that, right? Like, so he began to explain. It. I mean, Scott's told me what it was before, but I forgot, right? So here's the thing. All of a sudden, here is this image of this guy who's very popular. Now, just look at what we've got. We got a traditional Jew. We got Simeon, who's a black man. We got Lucius. Uh, Cyrene, we have this, uh, who's a Hellenistic Jew, who's a little bit more progressive. we got Manan, who is an influencer. This is their church board. Okay. And finally, we have Saul. Saul, who had learned Judaism from the ground level up in the most traditional ways, that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When, when I say this group is diverse, this group is very diverse. What's remarkable is how they get along There is no discussion of them having debate, except, hold on, you ready for this? Except for two who are the most alike in the group. Barnabas and Saul will have a division shortly that will be so divisive that they'll actually separate ways. When that group is that diverse, it is the Spirit of God that is helping them engage and get along. This is a mistake a lot of people make. We think what we need are more people like us to get along. Not so when the Holy Spirit is active. That's why I say there's a diversity among this group. Now, look at what they're doing. I'm going to give you five things. Here they come, fast. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They're about to send them out, okay? Let me just point out a couple of things for you about these guys. First of all, they view each other as equals. You never hear one of the five saying, I'm in charge, okay? In fact, if anybody's in charge in this text, the Holy Spirit is in charge. And I love this. Um, We've mentioned this to you before, but we try to do this here as much as we can, that the leadership in the Bible, when it uses the word presbyteros or elder, it always, 199 times out of 200 times, it uses it in the plural sense, which means it's a group of people, not just one person, charismatic leader leading the thing. In fact, my favorite use of this term is when Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, I think, he says, I am a fellow elder, and he uses a term only used there. He uses the word press presbyteros which is same elder as the rest of you. I'm a fellow elder. I'm the same as the rest of you guys. Now, if you grew up in a Roman Catholic environment, you were taught that Peter was the leader of the church. He was the first pope. He was the man in charge, right? And if you go over to uh, uh, the Peter and Paul church that sits, if if you, you know, run down to the Rocky statue and run up there at the art museum, and you go right back down the road to Peter and Paul, you'll be able to see two statues at that church. One is Paul with, you know know that because he's writing something like he's writing his letters, and the other is Peter. And you know that because he's got the keys, okay? The keys to the kingdom, Because remember, that's what Jesus said. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. You say, what does that mean? Come back another time. I'll tell you, all right? Here's the thing. I want you to see that some people saw Peter as in charge. Peter doesn't see himself that way. Peter says, I am a fellow elder, same soon, presbyteros, same as the rest of everybody else. And I noticed something else too, they were worshiping with humility and that's because the word worship in our text is the word that we get liturgical from, it's liturgia. You say, well, that sounds like, it, like, like it's some kind of liturgical thing, we stand up and we sing or we chant or something, but it's also a word that means serve, which means when we serve, we serve with humility. I was drawn to that word recently, I was thinking about that word service, because Jesus said in Mark 10:44, "Even the Son of Man came not to be served, not to be served, but to serve and give himself a ransom for many." Can you imagine a rustling at the tables? John chapter 13, the disciples are arguing about who will be the greatest, and all of a sudden somebody's under the table washing their feet. That's Jesus. That's the same word. when we worship, we are engaging and serving, that's why we reference it as worship with humility. Here's the third idea, they pray with dependence. Twice in this text, they are fasting. If you've ever done a period of fasting um, for praying purposes, then you know that you immediately feel your own weakness. Like, that's part of the purpose of fasting. You're not impressing God because you can go without food. Okay, that's not what it's about. What you do realize is that as you're fasting, you feel your dependence and you're, because you feel weakness, and you're more prone to depend upon the Lord even in your prayer. Finally, you notice that they were listening to the Holy Spirit. I love this. The Holy Spirit said something to them, and they did not argue. Right? They didn't say... What do you mean, give up Paul and Barnabas? They've been preaching here for a year. Why would we give them up? Okay. They just listened, and they set him apart for service. And finally, I love this idea. They follow the Lord, whatever the cost. Do you realize that there are five men leading the church of Antioch, which is a happening church in the New Testament? Two of them are sent out. Not only are two of them sent out, they sent out Paul, and they, it's known as Saul here, and they sent out Barnabas, can you imagine what it would be like to have those guys teaching the word every Sunday? Okay. Like you got Paul. He's standing up there talking about stuff out of Romans. And you got Barnabas who comes along and just encourages. Like that's the perfect package. Okay. Like I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning all this Bible. And when I get discouraged, all of a sudden here steps up the guy who's the son of encouragement. and He encourages me. I just want to come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. right? And then one day you come to church and they say, by the way, Two of those guys were sending out because the Holy Spirit told us to. And I can just imagine people in the church said, what, who's gonna come anymore? Okay. You just, you're giving up Paul, you're giving up Barnabas? Right. God gathers, they often come from a diversity of backgrounds. What marks these leaders is that they will follow the Lord at all cost. They go from five leaders, half their team, almost half their team disappears to three leaders, just like that. Now notice something else, God gifts people to minister to the church and beyond. God gifts people to minister to the church and beyond. The text says that there were prophets and there were teachers, and then it lists these five guys. There were prophets. Now, a prophet can be a foretelling of the truth, like they can say something that's going to happen in the future, or the term can be used in the Bible to describe a forthtelling, like a prophetic voice, like a, like this is what the Lord says. Okay? You have that approach, and you also have in the same text teachers who are explaining um, in more of an intellectual way what the word actually means. Just think about that for a second. You got one hand that's saying, this is the word of the Lord, and some people are saying, great, let's, we're, we're just going to take on hell with a water bucket, okay? We're going to go, okay? And then you have this other group of people who are saying, by the way, let me explain to you what he just said. It's, it's this incredible balance. God gifted that church with five men who were doing both, some have said they all had identi- they all had the same gifts, both prophets and teachers. Or you can look at the first two in the list. The grammar reads this way: as prophets, and the last three as teachers. It, it, all I know is that God gifts people to minister to the church, but He also gifts them to minister beyond the church. Now, let me show you that. Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. If you go back to Acts chapter eleven, remember. When the church in Antioch got cranking up, um, Barnabas said, hey, listen, I got to go get Saul. And he went and got Saul from Tarsus, who, by the way, had been in the little podunk town of Tarsus for about 10 years, okay? That's where Paul had nine years. That's where Paul had been. He'd got, he, he started to preach right away, and he was pretty disruptive, and people were going to kill him, and so God kind of hauled him off there, and he's over in Tarsus. Barnabas goes to get him and brings him to the church of Antioch, and notice what we see And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. In other words, here they are, back to back, Paul and Barnabas, preaching, 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 preaching. That's Acts chapter 11. But look with me at Acts chapter 16, okay? And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, watch this. Acts chapter 16, Paul's in one of his many missionary journeys, and I just want to show you, they were in their church preaching, and now they are clear over here preaching. Antioch's over here on the left of your screen. It's got the little star, okay? That's Antioch. That's where they start. But he preaches, he's trying to preach all the way through Cappadocia, all the way through Asia, what we know as Asia in the New Testament time. And he gets over there to Troas and and the Holy Spirit's been telling him the whole time, don't talk, don't talk, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. And when he gets all the way to Troas, standing there on on the bank, sea bank, he hears the Holy Spirit say, he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia that says, come on over. And he goes over, but you know what? It's not a man. It's a woman, Lydia, the seller of purple, who is over there in Philippi, and she's one of the first to become a Christian, and he starts the church there in Philippi. This is remarkable. He not only did what he did there. Okay, you're gonna love this. Are you ready for this? This is how far Paul went when he preached. Not just in his town of Antioch, But in his first missionary journey, he traveled 1,500 miles. In his second missionary journey, he traveled 3,050 miles. In his third missionary journey, he traveled 3,307 miles. And in the last journey, um, where he was in chains and he's gone to Rome in a a slave ship, right? He travels 2,300 miles. Are you ready for this? Paul took the word not just to his home church, but he traveled 10,000 miles you got to let that set in. You say, what's the big deal? He walked. You know what that is? That's from New York City to L.A. and back. And then, again, from New York City to L.A. and back. Twice. Now, granted, he took a ship, some of that. Okay, he didn't swim it, right? But for the most part, he is walking. Okay. You just gotta let that thought settle in. We don't even wanna walk across the street sometimes to talk to somebody. Paul walks 10,000 miles to share the gospel. Why? Because it's not just about getting the gospel here, it's about getting the gospel there. That's why a church has to be a sending church. I don't know, maybe it's just as I get older, I think about this. I've seen Fellowship Bible Church in a lot of stages as a church. I've seen it in its infancy. Some of those who are still here remember seeing it in its infancy. Infancy is just a handful of people backing up a trailer to a school, pulling out stuff out of a trailer every Sunday, putting it in there, just, and then it starts to grow. I've seen it in its teenage rebellion years. Okay. I think the mark of a mature church isn't that it's full, isn't that it's big, isn't that it's everybody who knows all the Bible, okay? I think the mark of a mature church is that it becomes a sending church, and everybody in the church gets it, that the goal is to keep sending, that the goal is to send short-term trips to Brazil, send short-term trips to Poland, but not just because they're short-term trips, but because at some stage, it's a teenager's gone to South Africa and a guy's gone into the prisons, because it's in that sending that they begin to say, wow, I'm taking the gospel not only here, but there. Ascending church is when a church is mature. That's Antioch. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. And I'm thrilled with that. Like, you know, that's that's like the best years of a church. It's in there, it's growing, it's learning, but it's always sending. God gives people to minister the church, to, to minister in the church here and beyond here that's why we say God gives gifts God gives people to minister to the church and beyond there's one more here it is uh, when God sends you you ready for this okay get ready because everybody says great great I want to be sent I want to be sent okay here's what you're sent to when God sends you he sends you to points of conflict challenge and opportunity conflict that's exactly right when God sends, he sends people to points of conflict and challenge and opportunity. Let me just unpack those three words for you. Here we go. Conflict. Conflict. Conflict means that not all will agree with you, okay? Not all will agree with you. When the text I read this morning, you may notice that Paul is taking the first stop they have is on this island of Cyprus. And there, as they move through the island, they get to this proconsul council guy who's, who's important, right? He's a leader. He's significant. And history even shows that. When you study this a little bit, you'll find that there was even a coin with his name engraved. Like, if you ever wondered if the Bible's accurate, like, somebody found a coin. And there was this guy's name, Paulus, engraved on it, Sergius Paulus. He was a man of intelligence, the text says. Verse 7 who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to know. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. There's conflict. Almost right off, there's conflict. You can almost picture like Paul and Barnabas going and saying, this is gonna be great, this is gonna be great, can't wait, we're gonna share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, ma, conflict. Here is a guy who totally opposes them. And Paul calls him out with really strong language. Like son of the devil is pretty strong language, okay? You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Wow. God's making it simple. You're making it confusing. But what I want you to see is that whenever you are sent, you can expect conflict. Now, think about it for a second. Together, strengthening you to change your world for Christ. So, when you go to work Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. Kids, when you go back to school, the end of the summer, why would we not expect conflict? Because when you're sent, you can expect that not all will agree with you. You don't have to get everybody to agree with you. You don't have to get everybody to like your post. It should be said with grace and truth, okay? The goal isn't to get as many people to not like your post, right? But expect conflict. Even when you speak truth with grace, expect there to be conflict. Here's the second one, challenge. We notice something in verse 13, not the verse we read this morning, but I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Verse 13, Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, they're leaving the island, and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, that is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Not all are gonna stay with you. And you may, if you've read your Bible before, know that this is the challenge for Paul and Barnabas. The challenge becomes this moment where Paul and Barnabas all of a sudden are saying, wait a minute, Paul says, listen, I don't want to take Mark with us for the second journey. And Barnabas says, he's just young, he's going to grow up, I want to take him on the second journey. And Paul says, I'm not going to waste my time. And it says that that disagreement grew very, very strong. And finally... It breaks, and Barnabas says, well, I'm taken. And Paul says, well, not with me, you're not. And they go two completely different directions. And God uses that split, right? But what I want you to see is that this is also part of the sending process. Not everybody stays. Not everybody's going to hang out with you. Challenge, not all will stay with you. Conflict, not all will agree with you. Challenge, not all will stay with you. But watch this. There is, in every time you're sent, an opportunity. And here it is the opportunity is there are so many more that need to hear from you. That's right, there's so many more. There's so many more that need to hear the gospel. There's so many more that just need a conversation. There's so many more that just need an encouragement. There's so many more that just need to say, wow, I'm I'm glad your marriage is working. Mine's not, right? There's so many more that says, man, I just need encouragement with, with where my kids are. There's so many more that need to hear from you. What I want you to see is look at verse 12. Acts chapter 13, verse 12. Here it is. After all of that happens, verse 12, then the proconsul, this guy by the name of Sergius Paulus, a very important character on the island of Cyprus, believed when he saw what had occurred. But he wasn't astonished at the miracle. Look at this. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The miracle grabbed his attention, but that's not why he believed. That's not what astonished him. That's what got his attention. He was astonished when he heard Paul and Barnabas teach. Now for a moment, think about this. Paul and Barnabas could have been happy as clams teaching at Antioch, but God said separate them, because there's an opportunity on that far side of the island of Cyprus. We're gonna sail you over there, we're gonna get you on the island, we're gonna get you to the other side of the island and that's where your opportunity is because there is somebody there that needs to hear from you. The same thing applies to all of us in ascending. God sends people, even at points of conflict. God sends people, and there'll be challenges. Not everybody will stay with you. And there's, God sends people because the opportunity is there. There's so many more that need to hear from you. I've spoken with you this morning about the fact that Fellowship Bible Church should be a church where it gathers. It should be a church where there's giftedness. It should be a church where we're sending, right? You need to be prayerfully considering where you fit in that spectrum. It's not enough to just come and sit, right? You need to be saying, okay, where do I get involved? How am I sent? Where do I go? And because, and if you say, well, you're not going any place that I think I can go. I speak this particular language. Then come see our missions committee. We want to get you out there. Because we believe that a mature church is a church that it becomes ascending church where people keep going it's true we're going to miss pastor Scott and Rachel a lot and um, and uh, that's that 's the truth, but we are just as excited for how God is going to use them in another capacity because God is sending them and we wanna be a part of that. We don't wanna be arguing with the Holy Spirit when he starts speaking and he begins to send somebody. So may that be a model for the rest of us as well. It may be emotional at times, but that's all part of it. God is sending us. And by the way, just a quick caveat. Fellowship Bible Church has people who, uh, this is probably New Jersey, people move into New Jersey, take one look at their property taxes and move out of New Jersey, okay. Okay, but here's the thing, okay. Fellowship Bible Church has this long history of people who came here and then went off to Texas and went off to South Carolina and went off to Tennessee. I just see that as part of the sending. And if God is moving you in a career, whoa, 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 think about this for a second. You should be giving adequate consideration not just to the career, but to what God wants you to do when you get there. See, it's not about a job. It's not about I got, a new, I got another promotion. It's not about that. I mean, when you get to be 65 or 70, it doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is that you were where you were supposed to be ministering the gospel, where you were supposed to be, where God had placed you. He didn't place anybody else there. That's how it's supposed to work because the church should always be sending, sending, sending. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Maluka Hill.